Welcome in Regan's Corner sports fans. Okay, remember to subscribe down below. But we got a special guest today, Notre Dame outfielder Brooks. What is new? Uh, not much. Just got our preseason going, first team practices rolling around this weekend, this past weekend, and just attending class and getting ready for the season. Okay, so how did you start in baseball? So I moved here to the States from South Africa, and the first time I picked up a baseball was when I was nine years old. A uh, travel coach saw me play flag football, actually, and he saw I had a strong arm, and I kind of got invited to a try a private tryout with the team and didn't even have a glove, didn't even have a bat, just kind of showed up to a field and threw a ball around, and that's kind of how I got things going. Okay, so let's kind of take us back into what when was the time you came here from South Africa to the States? I was nine years old, so that was around 2009. Nice. Okay, so how was South Africa versus here in the United States with kind of sports and stuff like that? Yeah, sports and stuff like that, it's uh, – Rugby and soccer is king down there. And I grew up playing cricket. My dad was a huge rugby and track guy. So he kind of knew how dangerous rugby was. He didn't really let me get into it that much until I was older. And I played a year of it before coming here. But cricket was always my love before I moved to the state. So it was always a sticking ball for me. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. So how's cricket and baseball? How different is that? And then did cricket help you? with the development with your arm during baseball? I think it, it's all hand-eye. So that's the aspect that it's similar, but the pace of baseball and cricket, they're both slow, but cricket is much slower. So yeah. kind of the transition wasn't hard. The only difference was I didn't have to hit a ball that bounced that it came in the air, so. Okay, so going into your travel uh, days and travel ball and stuff like that, the junior high kind of days. So what was the kind of aspect that I'm here, I, I'm really good at this sport, that was the moment for you? Uh, it started around when I was 16. I didn't really play on travel teams, like the big travel teams until I was 16. And then I played on local Champagne Tribe team growing up and Muhammad Diamond Dogs and stuff like that. But then my coaches and people in my corner said, I need to get out of the small town. I need to get up to Chicago. I need to go play in Atlanta. I need to go to the showcases to be seen because I wasn't being seen from where I was at. And so that's when I made that jump to really put him, getting serious about baseball. For sure. So while you're here in the States, was there other sports that kind of helped you with conditioning for baseball? Uh, I was always – I played everything. I I played basketball and football in high school. And before high school, I also did track. I, I was just always around multiple sports, and I think that's something that's being lost nowadays is people just focusing on one sport and it's limiting you. But the more sports you play, the more athletic you are and the more versatile you are, and I still stand by that. Right. So I'd say – when was like the recruitment process? When did that kind of come in? Uh, I committed 
the summer going into my junior year. So it was pretty early for me. And the process itself, it wasn't as extreme as some guys. Like some people visit 20 plus schools before they make a choice. Right. I visited a couple schools and uh, Notre Dame saw me at one of their tournaments first. We were up here playing on one of the tertiary fields. I didn't even play on the Notre Dame's field. And Coach Restano saw me and he followed me down to Atlanta, saw me a little bit more. And then I was at a showcase and one of our coaches calls me. He's like, you have a visit to Notre Dame. And then got the visit, got the offer. And then it just kind of, it was just a process of making financials work. Right. Especially since it's one of the most expensive schools probably mm -hmm. in the country. Um, but yeah, so what was it like the first time you stepped, even on their, as a recruit, on Notre Dame's campus? It was kind of surreal. You know, it's it's just one of those places, like, you know, you get the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But the stories, the stories, things look like once you step on a campus, you feel at home. Like, that's actually how I felt at Notre Dame. When I visited other places, it was just kind of like going through the motions, going through the process. But at Notre Dame, there was more of a care for the person and not just your baseball ability. It's life after baseball that they put an emphasis on. Right. It's like the chill you get just kind right. of stepping even close to it. You, you might not even get to the Gretto. You might even that. It's just the main, like you're looking at the Golden Dome, Touchdown Jesus. And it's just like, you just have that little chill yeah, about you. I still do. I still do. For sure. That was my next question. I, I don't think it gets old. No, it does not. No. Honestly, I think that's the closest school in America to like Hogwarts. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I, I, can, I can agree with that. For sure. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, getting to your freshman year, what was kind of the adjustment period from going to somewhat kind of middle-level high school to Notre Dame? Mm -hmm. uh, academics, all the lore, these old-looking buildings, but just sweet-looking buildings as well. How was the kind of adjustment period there? Yeah. I was lucky enough to attend summer school, so I kind of eased into the academic side of things. And But I didn't get to play summer baseball that year. And then went, once baseball hit and academics hit and everything kind of hit at once, it was a little over, it was overwhelming. I'm not even going to lie. It was really overwhelming. And there was a lot of times doubting myself because I came from a small town in Muhammad, Illinois, where I was the only Division One player or college baseball player on my team and the only guy with those aspirations and I'm surrounded with people like that people being as good if not better than me and it was a lot of questioning if you belong a lot of am I even smart enough to attend these classes and it was a bunch of self-doubt my freshman year but yeah for sure okay let's talk about how you became an outfielder Okay, so how did that kind of start? Uh, I, I've always played all around the field. Even my freshman year on campus, they tried me out at third base. 
and struggled there a little bit, but that was not my position coming in. I was always, I played shortstop in high school. I played everywhere, but I kind of just, I like just being an athlete on the field because my coaches back home, they always say, you're not a baseball player, you're an athlete. And then where can you just be an athlete? And that's an outfield. I had a strong arm. I was athletic enough to play there and I wasn't limited in what I could do out there. For sure. Okay. With how many good teams you guys had over the two or three year span. Uh, so what was kind of what you took away from the people from your freshman year to the seniors and stuff like that. So what did you take advice wise with school with even the bats kind of things? Uh, it's just kind of growing up, you know, it's not knowing that your last at bat isn't going to define you for your the rest of the time here. And that's kind of how you are as a freshman. You think that, oh, I had a bad at bat in the fall. In reality, it's fall ball. Everybody's struggling. Like some people, they're just naturally gifted, but a lot of people struggle in the fall. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from the upperclassmen and people before me gave me. And it's just kind of like not holding on to the little things and just being able to flush stuff. Nice. Okay. So what is like the mental approach that you take almost every bat going up there? Uh, mental approach. That's something that coach link has kind of really emphasized since he's been here is it's not more, it's a lot approach based and kind of for me personally, it's all about competing. It's not really sometimes I, a lot of the times you know what the pitcher has and what he's got and i always take pride in how comfortable i am with two strikes and that's just kind of my mentality is just being able to compete and that's what it comes down to when in doubt i'm just trying to compete i'm not thinking about my swing the pitches i'm just it's me versus you and that's what it comes down to when i'm in the box for sure sounds like you have the anthony rizzo approach to it where it's well, just a little bit a little bit uh, because I've seen you working, okay? Dingers, that's going up. The batting average is going up. So let's take it into the sophomore year a little bit here with the COVID um, and then kind of cut through half of your year here. Uh, so before that variant came to tuition, what was kind of the bats kind of like during that year? Say that again. So before like COVID kind of cut the season short, what was kind of the mindset going into that year? Um, before that year, we just, we got a new coach. We got a new catching coach. We got a new outfield coach. We got everything flushed besides the pitching, pitching coach. So it was kind of like a, and before that we struggled a lot. So getting that new coach and stuff like that, but still having the same players, it was just kind of the approach of let's reset, let's get it going, let's retire losing. And I think that mentality showed on the field that year until it got cut short before our series against Louisville. Right, for sure. So didn't for the COVID year and stuff like that, the time adjust to the coaching staff and everything like that, again, cut short, did actually help you guys in the long run the following year in your junior year? I think it 
It's hard to say that COVID helped you because it so many right. people back, but I think it's just the thing that season brought us into my junior year was just that taste of success, sweeping UNC before the, an ACC series and just kind of being dominant. And then you get a taste of that. You get the same guys back. You get other key pieces back. It was just having that taste kind of gave us momentum going into that year. For sure. Okay. We're going to fast forward a little bit, and then we're going to go back and forth with this year and the junior because it's a very important year for you. Okay. Let's go to the UConn series. In wait for it, South Bend. You haven't hosted a series in almost a decade. Okay, and then you guys just came out with the bats, you know, and just took it to UConn. Okay, so how was that? How was the kind of feel before that game? Yeah, that was also the first um, time all year at Notre Dame that we could have fans that weren't just family. So we had the stands packed, and it was the first time all year, and it's the first time that place has been like that in a long time. I think we really fed off of that and really fed off the super regional seating not working out the way we thought it would. And it was just kind of, we were playing with a chip on our shoulder and we just, nothing was going to stop us. I mean, it looked like it uh, for sure. Uh, just going through Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, we don't care who Michigan we're playing against, you know? Uh, and then UConn, uh, and then we go to the Super Regionals, okay? And then we play against Mississippi State. Uh, so what was kind of going into down south in Starkville, Mississippi? What was kind of the series kind of vibe for that kind of series? It was the same mentality that we had going into the regional. It was just kind of playing with the chip on our shoulder, getting mad that we weren't hosting that game. And then we came out, we outscored them 24 to 20 in that series. It's just, they got crucial hits at the right time. And it, that's what it came down to. But it, that place was probably one of the most amazing places I've played in. And the dude effect, it, it was nuts. It was the highest attendance in NCAA history for a super regional. It, and you could feel there was a buzz and there was, I had the student section in my ear and right field the entire time with pictures of me with my face cropped out with my girlfriend with Tanner Allen's face on top of mine. It's like, that's the first time I played in a baseball environment like that. In high school, you do that with basketball yeah. all the time, but baseball is usually you're isolated, but there everything's on top of you. The fans start rolling in at as soon as the gates open. That the stands are filled for your batting practice. That's how much they love baseball down there, and that was an amazing environment. Ball that didn't happen how we thought it was, but yeah, it's still kind of bad taste in my mouth from that series. But it is what it is. It is what it is. But you still got a homer on that one. It's still good motivation for this year coming up. Okay, um, especially since you guys were so close to being the champions of the national champions. We don't know what you guys could have done in Omaha. Okay, that's just that should be a feather to you guys' hat. 
Cap. Okay. So what was like throughout your three years here in their name? What was the most interesting like chance posing fans made when you went to road trips? Um it's probably goes back to my freshman year. So I had a long mullet and we were playing down in South Carolina mm-hmm. and the Clemson fans loved me. They started chanting. My hat fell off. I was playing left field and I'm running towards a gap and my hat falls off and the mullet comes out. And all of a sudden chants come of like, take it off, take it off. And then as soon as I take it off, the crowd goes nuts. And then when I stepped into the box, they would be going crazy for me. And then I had people tweeting at me and then we go to Western Carolina and they had some fans up in the hills tweeting right. at me after the game and they had a megaphone complimenting my hair because the mullets came down there. But right. I mean, hey, Brooks, I mean, this right here right now, it looks fresher than that mullet because I saw some pictures of that mullet. But look, right now, where you at, it looks fresh, okay? I appreciate it. Uh, but all seriousness, yes, for sure. That's a pretty funny story, okay? And Let's go to the NIL deals, okay? So how how's that much different from your first three years at Notre Dame to now where you're able to make money off your likeness? And the rules, there's few rules in there from the NCAA still, but it's still not like a death grip like it was before. Right. I mean, as a baseball player, it's – Honestly, it hasn't changed much for me. A lot of it comes on what I go after. Don't really have, I barely have enough time to do my academics on top of baseball. I'm not going to be trying to seek out deals on top of that. You know what I mean? And the sports that get the most exposures, like the football and basketball, or you can really see those guys making money off the NIL. But I personally, NIL hasn't really changed much of how I go about my business. Right. But you still have the liquid TV. I mean, so I see a lot of athletes, especially at Notre Dame, having that liquid TV kind of stuff. So what kind of products? Um, and what was the reasons why you kind of went after that deal? Uh, that was another one where you just reach out for it to be an ambassador for them. And it's, it's a hydration packet and it's just kind of, I, it's super expensive. So if they send me monthly supplies with that and I don't have to take money out of my own pocket to go for it. And that's kind of the stuff I look for is the stuff I use. And that's something that I use a lot. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. Free plug for them. That's kind of what we're going for. So, but kind of going into this year, Okay, so what was the training in the off season kind of like getting into the season that's coming up very quickly? Yeah, so the off season, the fall is always rigorous, and then we go home for winter break. Luckily, the winter break was a little bit shorter than last year. Last year we had two months at home, but this. This year, it's just always the same focus as just cleaning up my mechanics, making sure I stay healthy, putting myself in a position where I come back to campus and it's not like I'm trying to play catch up. I come back to campus being ready to hit the ground running and being able to do what I need to do. 
Right. Okay. So what are some things that from watching game film last year uh, at the plates in the field that you need, that you think you need to clean up to be in that extra level at Omaha this year and stuff like that? Uh, for me personally, it's just consistency with my at-bats because I would go really good or really bad. It was never just consistency throughout my at-bats, and that's kind of been mm -hmm. something I've been working on a lot. And a lot of it's kind of where I stand in the box. That's something we've been playing around with a lot and just kind of how I am, my position-wise, just from a at-bat standpoint. And fielding-wise, it's just always taking my reps as best as I can in the outfield during batting practice and making the most out of them. Because once we're – like right now, we can't see fly balls or anything. So just keeping that in mind. Okay, for sure. So how do you – like since the season's in February and stuff like that, being in a cold weather climate like we are here in Northwest Indiana, how do you see fly balls? How do you see like in-game action consistently? How how do how's practice kind of go about all that stuff? My freshman year, we went to Arizona State with all the outfielders not even seeing a ball fly. All we were limited was the coaches throwing the ball at us. But this year. And last year, too, Coach Link really puts an emphasis on us being able to track down balls and us. So we used an indoor track facility called Loftus here at Notre Dame. And we open it up, and then we have 100 yards. So we, we're limited to center field, mostly, of making our throws, but we have an infield set up so we can make all our throws. And then the assistant coaches, they hit balls off of the tee with a softball bat or he launches it off the machine. So we have 100 yards to work with and run around. So he has us running around a lot after fly balls, and that's the closest thing you can get to it. I mean, that's good because you still get that little thing in the air. You kind of get where the laces are coming down right. and stuff. So at least you're getting something. Like you mm -hmm. said, your freshman year, you just had the coaches kind of throw it. Right. Stuff, uh, which being – high in the ACC and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of a, puts you guys at a disadvantage being in a cold climate like we are, right. which is what they're doing in Texas uh, and what they're doing in Florida, South Carolina and stuff where it's kind of warmer, but it's not since it's winter. Uh, but yeah, so who do you guys mark on the calendar uh, for this year? That just matchup that you just want to go to, uh, who do you mark? I think it's the Louisville game for me personally, and I think everybody probably has the same mindset as I do, is because we split in at our place when we hosted them. And then the Monday or the Sunday, it was just horrible weather. So we, we banged the game and – they couldn't play on Monday, so we just left it at one-to-one. -one. So it's just kind of that rubber band match. And also getting back at Florida State, I know that that's also one we're looking forward to because they're the only home series we – or only series we lost was to Florida State last year. So just kind of getting revenge there. For sure. So how do you guys 
with X nations coming all over the place with your guys' great year last year, how do you kind of tamper all those things and all the accolades and stuff like that to get your mission done to go to Omaha this year since you guys are preseason ranked fourth in the country? I think the way we go about our businesses and it doesn't change from what we did last year. It's we know what it takes, you know, how to get to that point. And just because the expectations are higher, it doesn't mean you have to change what you're doing, but you're going to work harder. And, you know, you still have that chip on your shoulder because people don't think that we belong still. So it's just kind of using that doubt and hate to motivate us. For sure. I like it. I like it. I got the little Rocky mentality going here. Okay. That leads us into our last segment of the day, the hot corner. No puns intended. You know what I'm saying? Because of Regan's corner. But, Brooks, what's your all-time favorite sports movie? All-time favorite sports movie. I mean, if I'm watching Netflix or something and the Benchwarmers is on, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. The same same with The Sandlot. The Sandlot, I think, OG Sandlot, that's probably my all-time favorite movie. Hey, there's so many great baseball movies. So many. I like it. Benchwarmers and Sandlot, they're up there. They're up there. Okay. Are you superstitious for any of your games? I'm I'm very superstitious. It's it's all goes into my routine. If I drink one energy energy drink flavor and I hit well that day, I'm going to be drinking that same thing. If I wore an arm sleeve and I hit well, I'm going to be wearing that. If I wore a pair of socks, I'll wash the socks, but I'm still going to be wearing that same pair. I'm my routine is kind of where I get super superstitious. Okay. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot, Brooks. Okay. Uh, So what is, let's see, your go-to meal? My go-to meal. When I'm on campus or at home? Just. Hey, while you're on campus. When I'm on campus. Oh, That's a tough one, cause, prob- but probably noodles and company, uh, the whisk or the what was it called? It's a barbecue pork mac and cheese with some pot stickers. Yeah, I'm trying to think too, but I mean that just sounds good. You yeah, know, for and we sure. just got a noodles and company on Eddie Street now, so. Ooh. I mean, that's your spot because that's your meals, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so if you had two, okay, like a drinking company or something like that, like something like energy drink-wise or a clothing company, what would your two dream uh, endorsements be on both sides? So energy drink? Uh, probably I drink bang a lot. I'll probably drink it too much, but if you're a baseball player, you, pro- you run off with a lot of caffeine and clothing company wise, 
I don't know. Probably Under Armour. I love their clothes. That's that's probably the Notre Dame in me saying Under Armour, but I never really got into Lulu. Couldn't pay that amount for something, but Under Armour has always been my go-to regardless. For sure. Same. Same with Under Armour. Okay. So, welcome to Regan's Corner Athletes, Brooks. Okay. We'll put you into the March Madness bracket so you are you have a chance to get the two golden tickets, okay, that we would give to our athlete. And after you get five, which would be five months, winner and stuff like that, usually the winner of the monthly Larry Knowlton Award, uh, named after my grandfather, who was a former pitcher, uh, almost went to the pros. Uh, but anyway, then we will give like prize money and stuff like that and everything like that. But we will have a free Regan's Corner shirt for you. Um, after we're done with the interview, we'll start making and this and that for Regan's Corner merch stuff on our website. But it was a pleasure because, as you can tell, I am a Golden Domer through and through. Okay. Yeah. I love Notre Dame. Okay, anyone we can get on here on this podcast that's Notre Dame affiliate, I will do it. Okay, so Brooks, thank you for coming on. Appreciate you having me. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to Burn It Down. Uh, a couple things to talk about today in the motorsports world. Uh, we've seen an incredible race today in the NASCAR world uh, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So let's take a quick uh, recap of Atlanta. Uh, all three series, incredible racing. I think uh, the best way to say it is I think we got a miniature version of Daytona or Talladega. Um, you know, in the past, when looking at Atlanta, we kind of seen it as – one guy would kind of get out ahead and maybe he'd have like, oh, I don't know, I'd say maybe a two to three second lead over another guy or something like that. And today we really didn't see that. We've seen a lot of bump drafting, a lot of guys working that draft together. Something completely different and something that I think a lot of these race fans should be excited about. And another thing these fans should be excited about watching that racing. Look at how many lead changes we had today. I think we had almost 30 different lead changes. Guys getting up front, and especially a lot of these uh, smaller teams, you know, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, Eric Jones, he is running up front. Uh, team in its second year, 23-11 racing. You know, uh, Josh and I last week 
uh, Green White Checkered podcast. We talked about Toyota Racing struggling a little bit. Kurt Busch and Bubba Wallace of 2311 Racing, that team started up by Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. They showed power today. They showed strength. And uh, remember, even Trackhouse Racing, that team that uh, bought out Chip Ganassi Racing, they really showed their stuff today too. I think that smaller teams like that are really going to start showing up, especially Richard Childers Racing. Uh, Tyler Reddick, he is really, really showing a big performance from a team that has kind of struggled these past couple of years. Brad Keselowski over uh, Roush Fenway. I'm uh, sorry, I believe it's Roush Keselowski Racing, whatever it is now, uh, in the number six car. He is really starting to flex some muscles, who everybody kind of expected Brad to struggle right from the get-go. And I think Brad kind of tossed everybody's expectations out, honestly. You know, Brad in that uh, Ford, he's had experience with Ford running with uh, Team Penske ever since uh, the early, well, late 2000s going into the 2010 era. I remember he won with Dodge actually in 2012 and Team Penske actually switched to Ford in 2013. But still, the point is Brad never really left that Ford uh, camp. And he's really showing that even at a new team, he has that same success wherever he goes. So I think we can lay all those questions to rest for Brad Kozlowski with a new team. Is he going to be able to perform and keep that team alive? The answer, I think, is yes. We're going to see Brad continuously perform at a high level. Um, so speaking of Toyota, though, you know, we brought up Kurt Busch and Bubba Wallace having really good finishes or well, having good results before ultimately both getting collected in accidents. Uh, Bubba Wallace was taken out. And I believe Kurt Busch, he actually finished uh, from what I believe. I didn't get to see it in the race, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when you look at who they're affiliated with, Joe Gibbs Racing. Joe Gibbs Racing is supposed to be one of the head honcho teams. And unfortunately, we just didn't see that. Uh, you know, the fifth race of the season, Joe Gibbs Racing is just not showing up. And 23-11, the team that is just supposed to be like the sister off-branch, corporation racing team they're really giving it to joe gibbs racing you know they're beating him week in week out and outperforming him and once they start especially bubba wallace once he starts getting these finishes built up and he's able to finish a race without getting into problems of his own or other people's problems he is really going to put a lot of these fans who doubted him to shame um talking about the chevy teams this is hendrick motorsports third win within five races we had kyle larson win at auto club we had alex bowman win at las vegas uh last week we seen chase briscoe first time winner in the cup series win at phoenix and william byron in the number 24 just so happens to win on the day jeff gordon comes back to the fox booth uh and by the way can i just say jeff gordon back in the fox booth replacing danica patrick nothing against her she hasn't really done a lot of broadcasting before, except for, you know, the six races, or I think she maybe even did three, two or three in the SRX series. But still, her broadcasting skills were limited, and you compare that to the veteran broadcaster of Jeff Gordon, who has uh, broadcasted since 2016 for Fox. Him coming back, it's like he never left. Him, Clint Boyer, and Mike Joy, that was all there. And, of course, they brought back the traditional show that they had, uh, well, I guess a little segment they had last year, Bring It Out. Uh, that was fun to have back, and it felt very – it felt like we should have Jeff Gordon back in the booth instead of this whole rotating thing. You know, it was fun to have Matt Kenseth in there, fun to have um, Tony Stewart for the Daytona 500 and for the Clash of the Coliseum. That was fun, but having Jeff Gordon back 
I feel really completes the booth. Um, and now I want to get into NASCAR going into IMSA, a num- topic number two for the day. We're going to leave the Atlanta thing. Uh, we're going to say it was an incredible race because it was. Congratulations to William Byron on the number 24 Hendrick Motorsports team. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports flexing some muscle, like I said. Uh, you can watch the live – well, not live, but you can watch the recap on YouTube under NASCAR's page. Follow them on Twitter, uh, Dale Hart Jr. on Twitter, all those guys, and they will pretty much break down the race in detail for you through uh, text on Twitter or, like I said, on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, like I said, jumping to number two topic, NASCAR going to IMSA. So it's kind of a weird thing because we have seen – NASCAR drivers go to IMSA, and remember, Jimmy Johnson, he's one of them. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, former NASCAR driver, former Formula One, even IndyCar driver, he's done some IMSA stuff over there. Um, Boris said Dale Jr. used to do sports car stuff. Uh, Even Jeff Gordon at one point did. Remember, Jeff Gordon, he won the Rolex 24, and I believe it was 2016. Yeah, Uh, either 2015 or 2016, somewhere around there. Maybe even 2017. I don't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, so basically here's what NASCAR's plan is. They have teamed together with Hendrick Motorsports and Goodyear, and they are going to make almost like a test session team. So basically what this means is they are going to compete out of a garage stall known as garage stall number 56. So what is garage stall number 56? Well, basically they're going to be part of the competition, but they're not. Uh, kind of like for them, this is like a scrimmage. They're really going to do a lot of tire testing, a lot of setup testing, things like that. And I believe it's going to be the 24 hours of Le Mans is where they're going to compete at. Uh, there are no drivers announced, but like I said, Jimmy Johnson currently competes for Cadillac in uh, IMSA on a part-time scale, heavily Hendrick Motorsports-based. So I believe Rick Hendrick at some point uh, NASCAR and Hendrick Motorsports are going to announce Jimmy Johnson is going to be one of the drivers to compete in NASCAR's program uh, in 2023 when they will release this. So uh, what do I think this means is I think there's – remember, this is they're going to bring the next-gen car to uh, this garage stall number 56 test session where they will compete in the live race, but like I said, they will not actually be officially scored. Um, well, they will be – it's kind of a weird – I think you understand what I'm saying. It's a weird situation. They're going to be scored in the race, but the points won't go towards them. It's nothing like that. Uh, they're basically just trying to figure out how they would run this if this was a situation where they would want to continue. Um, if it's a complete flop, I guarantee you NASCAR is going to pull out of that. Um, this next-gen car, it is expensive. It is hard to build right now. So I give NASCAR credit where credit's due. Thankfully, they aren't jumping into this year one. I think it's a good thing they're waiting another year just to ensure we can have cars built for this session. Uh, They have said the car is going to be different. Of course, it has to comply with IMSA rules, so it has to have headlights. It has to have uh, all sorts of that setup. But it's going to look like a traditional stock car, just more stock in a way, actually. Uh, Headlights, taillights, things like that. Um, I assume it's going to have to fit IMSA's engine specs and their height requirements for cars and stuff like that, but I really don't think the car is going to be affected all that much. We're it's going to be a lot more like um like I said, Hendrick Motorsports, they are a Chevy team, and so it's going to be a Chevy Camaro out there 
at the 24 Hours of Le Mans next year. So it is going to be like they are going to pull a street production Camaro that has been outfitted uh, to be super sport, and they're going to put it on a road course. Uh, I think this is going to be beneficial, but if I really, like I said, if I had to guess, Jimmy Johnson will be a part of that. Uh, the possibility of Jeff Gordon is very realistic. Uh, he works for Hendrick Motorsports as a vice chairman uh, and kind of another operator of competition in a way is Chad Knauss, Jimmy Johnson's former crew chief. So Chad is going to be spearheading this and making sure it all flows functionally and everything. Like I said, Jeff Gordon. He's probably going to have a heavy involvement in this a little bit. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, they don't really branch out all that often into other forms of motorsports. Hendrick Motorsports are not involved in IndyCar, drag racing, anything like that. Um, you know, I think two of their drivers uh, do a lot of dirt racing, Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson. Chase Elliott, he just started doing rallycross uh, in the offseason. So, I mean, you would think... Hendrick Motorsports would maybe branch out and start up a sprint car team or something like that, or even um, something along those regards. So this is this is Hendrick Motorsports as a brand branching out to another form of motorsports, uh, with, with it being sports, uh, yeah, sports car racing, IMSA. So I think the future for that is bright. I definitely think Hendrick Motorsports is going to stay heavily involved. Um, I think there is definitely the possibility NASCAR teams like Richard Childress Racing, maybe even Roger Penske. Because um, remember, Penske, they do run IMSA. They actually run Acuras. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were to lend some support, some stability for Hendrick Motorsports trying to get that car in there. Like I said, Richard Childress Racing, that's another Chevy team. Why wouldn't they help benefit um, – Hendrick Motorsports get this car out there. I would say the NASCAR community should see this as, yes, it is a Hendrick Motorsports-based Chevy car, but I believe that all teams should come up in a collaborative way and make a solid effort to say, hey, we have a car that can compete in this series. We want to bring more in the future, of course. So I think... That possibility is there. Uh, like I said, they're going to have full backing from Goodyear. Uh, I don't know if Goodyear is going to be a sponsor. I don't know what the situation is there. Uh, but it's looking bright, basically. So, like I said, I would, for drivers, I would have to assume Jimmy Johnson. Um, <laughs> like I said, maybe Jeff Gordon. Dale Hart Jr., I highly doubt it. Uh, he's kind of done with his driving career. He's probably going to stick to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. But there are a lot of other guys out there. Uh, Elio Castroneves, um, you know, the guys Jimmy currently drives part-time for, uh, they could even fill that seat for NASCAR. You know, they're not used to it, but it wouldn't hurt to get in that Garage 56 entry next year and just say, what the heck, and see what happens, you know. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, remember, he retired two years ago. So, well, two seasons ago, technically. But he has not even touched a next generation car from what we understand. He has been more heavily focused in his full-time pursuit of IndyCar. And that's where we're going to jump into next is topic. Well, sorry, let's jump into topic number three, the Toyota troubles in NASCAR. And then topic number four, we'll jump into Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar debut at Texas Motor Speedway. So if you remember in topic number one, we talked about Atlanta. We mentioned that the Toyotas continue to struggle in race number five. 
So to break this down, really there are only two competitive-based Toyota teams, that being Joe Gibbs Racing, and like you said, 2311 Racing. Um, Denny Hamlin, unfortunately today at Atlanta Motor Speedway, caused Kyle Larson a wreck, gave Denny Hamlin damage, and Denny was kind of taken out of the competitive level of – I'm not sure if he wrecked or not. Uh, I didn't get to see the full – the full thing. I don't know if he ended up quitting and putting the car away. Uh, I know Kyle Busch, he ended his day. Martin Truex Jr. was the only Toyota from Joe Gibbs Racing, I believe, to have a solid finish, except for maybe Christopher Bell. I had to take a look at that. But I believe Martin Truex Jr. finished eighth, which for almost like a Talladega, Daytona-ish short of track, uh, like a super speedway sort of situation, Martin ran relatively well. And remember, in the Daytona 500, we've seen Martin Truex Jr. He ran really good there, too. Even He won a stage. So Toyotas have the power. Uh, I think it's a lot of these, vet, a lot of these veteran drivers. Um, and this is something across all social media platforms, I think, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, Reddit even. I think you're going to see a lot of fans bring up the fact that, and even maybe even some of the drivers themselves I haven't even really seen yet. But... A lot of these veteran drivers like Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, like I said, Martin Truex Jr., um, Kevin Harvick, guys like that. You know, a lot of these guys we've seen come from the mid to late 2000s era, uh, even early 2000s a little bit, um, from I want to say 2004 to 2010 or so. Uh, a lot of those veterans from that era – they are struggling with this car. And I think the best way you can put it is a lot of these guys said it's very similar to when they drove uh, the virtual iRacing cars. A lot of these guys say, especially the veterans, these cars drive very similar to that. And, of course, iRacing being a partner of NASCAR, they probably gave a lot of information to NASCAR as to how the car should be run, should be set up at certain tracks. And, of course, that's how they do, how they do a lot of their – exclusive training when they can't for the cars, when they can't get to the track, you know, uh, and Atlanta, I think besides the clash of the Coliseum, that was the first like test for the cars at, uh, this next gen car that they've done. So, and even then a lot of those guys struggled with the cars, you know, uh, Justin Allgaier, he went on Dale and Hart Jr.'s podcast and talked about what a struggle it was for these cars to drive around the track. He said, you know, coming out of turn four, uh, before the repave at Atlanta, you would angle into the uh, tri-oval and the front stretch. And is this year what it was, uh, looking at it, the drivers were kind of actually coming off of four and headed towards the front stretch wall. So the wall is kind of at a corner now, which is kind of difficult. But uh, Kurt Busch, though, being a Toyota driver, he ran up front a lot. So I think you would honestly think that 2311 Racing would share a bit more information with Joe Gibbs Racing, and together they could help benefit each other, and we would see a lot of these Toyota guys running up towards the front more often. Uh, there are a couple other Toyota teams, but they're kind of backmarker teams, I guess, you know, smaller funded teams, so they don't really have the funding to run up front. But – yeah, I think we're starting to see this next generation of race car drivers show up as a lot of these veterans who watched for so long, you know, 2015, 2019 champion Kyle Busch. I think we're starting to slowly see him fade out. Denny Hamlin won Daytona 500 three times, two times in a row, just like 2000, 
20 and 2019, I believe. Uh, I think, yeah, <laughs> somewhere around there. And a lot of those guys are finally starting to kind of back out. We're not really seeing them run towards the front anymore. You know, Joey Logano, I think he's kind of like the last of that generation to hold a strong run, honestly, in competitive equipment. You know, like I said, we've seen a lot of Ryan Blaney, a lot of William Byron, a lot of Bubba Wallace, guys like that running up front. I think the only veteran we've seen up front today was Kurt Busch. That was it. But let's switch on to topic number four, Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar debut at Texas Motor Speedway. Remember, Jimmy Johnson is in his mid-40s. Uh, I believe he's about 44, 45 now. And uh, Jimmy Johnson in the offseason, he has been talking, giving updates to fans all offseason long about how uh, – sorry, I got something in my eye – about how he wants to continuously improve his IndyCar performance. So last year, Jimmy Johnson ran only exclusively at road course and street course events. Um, and Jimmy's performance was subpar. It wasn't Jimmy Johnson-esque. It was kind of like – 2018 to 2020 Jimmy Johnson esque racing, not not good. And uh, Jimmy actually in the offseason went and tested at Indianapolis Motor Speedway um, and really performed in this Chip Ganassi Racing number 48 car. And coming into Texas Motor Speedway, expectations were up. And you would swear this was the seven time Texas Motor Speedway NASCAR Cup Series winner, Jimmy Johnson. We've seen show up today that we have not seen in a quite a while. Jimmy is running in the top 10 all day long. Uh, he got up to the front even, and he was just competitive, aggressive. He's hungry. He was hungry to prove fans wrong. He was still competitive, and he can still get the job done. And he did it. He finished in the top 10. He finished sixth. So I think a lot of these oval tracks, we are going to see Jimmy Johnson perform. Uh, I remember IndyCar is similar to NASCAR. They're a mix of road course, street course, and then oval tracks. So I think we're going to see Jimmy really perform better at these oval tracks compared to the street and road course tracks until he gets adjusted to them. A lot of these tracks, remember, he has not even seen. Last year was his first time touching a lot of those street and road courses. So you kind of got to give Jimmy a break, benefit of the doubt, and kind of say, okay, you know, yeah, it's, it's fair to say you're not going to run well there. But a lot of these oval tracks, though, Jimmy, I feel, needs to perform and really show people he is still seven-time NASCAR Cup champion Jimmy Johnson trying to benefit himself in another series, which I think he can fully do. So now let's move on to topic number five. We dabbled on this a little bit last week uh, in the Green White Checkered podcast. Tony Stewart has an NHRA team, and they got their first win in opening up the season. I don't think fans expected this at all. Um, you know, we look at where Tony Stewart's NASCAR Cup Series team uh, partnered with Gene Haas, Stewart Haas Racing. It's not hard to admit Stewart Haas Racing struggled last year. Let's look at the facts. Stewart Haas Racing left the season with one win. One win. And that came with, Chase, or, uh, with Eric Almirola at New Hampshire, of all people to get it. You know, they have they have a lot of superstars. Like I said, blossoming NASCAR uh, Cup Series driver Chase Briscoe. Got the first one at uh, Phoenix International Raceway in the number 14 car. 
excuse me, just last weekend, Eric Amarola in his final season, but he is still being competitive, man. I tell you, he has still got what it takes to be up front runner. And then they've got Kevin Harvick. Uh, and Kevin, he's, you know, he's also getting into his 40s age era, and he's starting to slow down a little bit. We've seen him run up front a little bit at Atlanta, and I think what we've seen was last year he was mad, and he was hot and aggressive and hungry to win, and he went winless. Kevin Harvick's very first ever winless uh, series in his season in his career, and he's hungry to get that first win and show fans he's still competitive. I mean, like I said, it just wasn't Kevin that struggled. It was Chase Briscoe, uh, Cole Custer, Eric Almirola. They all struggled. Eric Almirola just somehow got up front at New Hampshire at the right time and won it. You know, that was good for Eric Almirola to get at least one more possible career win before he hangs it up this year. Uh, second one, actually, with Stuart House Racing. So that's, that's even better. But, um, yeah, I think – Tony Stewart, he heavily invested a little too much into this NHRA team. Remember, last year we kind of knew about it midseason through the NASCAR Cup Series season. Um, once he married his wife, Leah Vaughn, last, season, last year, um, we noticed Stewart House Racing was struggling. <clears throat> Coming off of 2020, yeah, 2020 season, where Kevin Harvick had like eight wins and then blew it at Martinsville where he didn't advance in the championship four. And... Um, let Chase Elliott win it. Uh, and that was really last time Kevin Harvick was as competitive as anybody else. And then, like I said, coming into the 2021 season, that wasn't the same Kevin Harvick we seen the season prior. I remember he got uh, wrapped up in that Chase Elliott feud uh, and cost him a chance to advance the round of 12. <clears throat> Maybe his, no, I'm sorry, the round of eight after wrecking at the Charlotte Roval. Uh, Chase chat in his mind and Kevin blew it. But uh, I think Tony Stewart kind of looked at what he did last season, seen his Cup Series team struggle, and thought, you know, maybe I should focus on both my Cup Series team and my NHRA team, drag racing team. And the big difference there is in NHRA, Tony Stewart is working with Dodge. Um, Tony Stewart has had no sort of affiliation with Mopar, Dodge, nothing like that prior to the announcement of his race team for uh, the NHRA, NHRA series. Uh, he's running Funny Car, and I can't remember the one, but he, he won the Funny Car event last week, I believe it was. And... Um, yeah, they, they really showed that. They didn't waste any money. They didn't waste any time getting their first win down. So I think Tony Stewart, like I said, reevaluated what he was doing and kind of put attention on both his Cup Series team this year along with his drag racing team and kind of – he's trying to balance them out. Um, remember, he also has to worry about the stress of his dirt racing team and the SRX Series uh, racing. Remember, Tony Stewart, he is a founder – of that division. So, and he's going to be racing in there all, I believe part time this year. I don't think he's going to be running full time because everything else that's wrapped up in his world. So, um, I could be wrong. He could be running full time. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but I believe the last thing I read said he was going to run part time in that number 20 car, <clears throat> but Tony's got a lot on his plate. That's really just kickstarted within the last couple months, last couple of years, even, uh, 
this past year, a lot just happened. Got married, started up a new racing division where he won the championship in the first year it was founded. Go figure, the founder of the racing series wins the championship. Seems a wage that has to go. Um, like I said, started up the NHRA team, and he's got two team, two separate race division teams in uh, NASCAR. He's got his Cup Series team, and then the Xfinity Series team. Riley Herbst is, and Riley Herbst. He isn't performing either. So Tony Stewart, I would say, needs to break it down a little bit and kind of figure out how he wants to run his race teams and his racing division. So that is all for this week on the Burn It Down show on Regan's Corner Sports Network. Be sure to subscribe and follow Regan Sports uh, Corner Network for future updates about the Burn It Down podcast. And... Regan's Corner, they have a lot of affiliates who are interviewing a lot of college athletes. So be sure to follow that as well. And until next time, see you later.